Something that really surprised me as a foster parent is how complex foster parenting is. That's why I'm really thankful that I'm licensed by an incredible agency that goes above and beyond to make sure their foster families are supported. Most foster parents close their home within two years and many quit within their first year. So having extra support is really helpful. I don't think my partner and I would have made it past the two-year mark without our agency's support. Kids Crossing retains more than 80% of their foster families, and I'm really not surprised by this. Kids Crossing has provided us with many free services, including therapy for the kid in our care, parenting coaching, interesting online trainings, in-home family preservation services, and a home coordinator who acts as a buffer between us and the foster care system, and so much more. What's really great is that all of these services are offered in-house by Kids Crossing. So our child's team is all aware of our current challenges and successes, and they all use the same trauma-informed therapeutic model, which means we're all speaking the same language. It's a huge time saver to not have to find all of those services on my own, and it gives me more time to play with the kid in my care. So what are you waiting for? Kids Crossing welcomes diverse and non-traditional families. They have four locations across Colorado, in Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more at kidscrossing.com. I know it's going to be rocky in the beginning, but that stability is really what a foster child needs because coming from a place where it's nothing but chaos, we have learned to thrive in chaos, and it's not a healthy place to thrive in. For example, the kid is the frog, and your household is boiling water or a pot. Don't throw the frog in boiling water immediately. It's not gonna be a simple rainbow unicorns, eight months later, adoption, no. And don't give up at the last second because usually with kids they're like yeah i want to be adopted in the beginning and then like when we're getting closer and closer and closer to adoption they're kind of getting that anxiety like oh this is going to be permanent so sometimes they'll try and back out of the adoption by throwing temper tantrums stuff like that so i feel like don't give up unless like absolutely necessary Welcome to Just a Special, the place to learn more about foster care from diverse perspectives. I'm Natasha, a foster mom, and I'm really excited about today's interview because it's one thing to read a book or hear an adult describe what kids in foster care need, but it's a totally different thing to hear about this from a youth themselves. Erica is a 12-year-old sixth grader who has recently adopted out of foster care. Erica identifies as they, them, and LGBTQ+, and found a supportive family of two dads who are also in the process of adopting a 13-year-old from foster care. It was so fun to talk with Erica because they have a really big personality, as you're going to hear, and also wisdom way beyond their years. So buckle up for this one and maybe grab a notepad to take some notes. Erica and I started off talking about how their friends would describe them. They would describe me as just being very likable and funny. Just a lot of hilarious people in my life kind of shaped me into liking that humor and stuff like that. How would you describe your sense of humor? Random, actually. Like, one day we were in class 
everyone was kind of being mean and angry at each other and the teacher was just frustrated so i decided hmm maybe i should just make everybody laugh so just randomly i said come on guys we're better than this come on guys we can do this that's cool so you have different voices yes i do so would you almost say you have a bunch of different personalities inside you that you can draw from yes i have them all named oh they're all named can you tell us about them this one's Julio. Hi, I'm Julio. How are you? Oh my god! I haven't given her a name yet. I know that it's something like Samantha or something like that. It's either between Patricia or Samantha. I can't decide. What's Julio's personality? Nervous, speaks up, but like kind of like that. Weird, straight up weird. Just like... <sighs> Do you want to see my penny collection? <sighs> and then Samantha or Patricia sounds a little more like Valley Girl. Yes. Oh my God. That's cool. And it sounds like too, you use your humor as like a peacemaking tool sometimes. Yeah. It can help out a lot. Or sometimes just straight up, I will make them have arguments in my head. Like if I'm really bored and I'm doing chores or something, and I'm just straight up bored, and I have nothing to do, I will make them have arguments. Oh, interesting. And I guess Julio's kind of depressed too, because one of the most recent sayings I gave to him is like him falling down and him being like, life is meaningless. Mm. It's interesting too, because I kind of seem like opposites a little bit. Would you say that? Yeah. Well, that's great. It's good to go through life with a sense of humor, isn't it? Yes. It makes it a lot better. So when I last talked to you, you said that you'd love to use this interview as a way to help people understand what it feels like to be in foster care, because I think a lot of foster parents listen to this podcast and it can be hard for them to know really, truly what it feels like and put themselves in the kids' shoes. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that. Oh, wonderful. I've already kind of had this prepared. Just some stuff especially if we come from one of the more rambunctious places, like, for example, a group home. A group home is pretty much just, in a way, an orphanage. Just try and cram as many foster kids into one home with multiple staff as you can. Kind of like that. A foster facility is what some people call it, but it's considered a what I call it, a group home. Foster homes can be like a group home. And it's kind of upsetting. It's like, Let's cram as much kids as we can into this house to get the money. Not the let's help these kids find their home. And that's what's kind of frustrating. Another thing is like when they're coming from one of those backgrounds is that don't like give up on them. One blow up and you're like, no, I can't do this. It's not going to work because it's just weird having that stability. Make sure to have that stability in your home. I know it's going to be rocky in the beginning, but that stability is really what a foster child needs because coming from a place where it's nothing but chaos, we have learned to thrive in chaos and it's not a healthy place to thrive in. So if you give us that stability and that routine that we can count on, that would be very helpful. And another thing is don't go rush to them every time they like, punch a wall or hit something because I do this my brother does it almost every foster kid does it it's always for attention it's always for something like that to get into that argument and to create that chaos to thrive in 
Yeah, that's some really good insight. So when you say that foster parents need to create stability, can you give me a few examples of what that looks like or what that has looked like for you? A routine. Don't go to the point where you're overprotective, but like a happy medium. Like, you know, something's going to happen every night. For like example, I know that dinner is around seven to six o'clock. Sometimes later, if stuff like that, keep that routine or time frame going. Don't put up a board and like, if a minute goes by and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm panicking right now. Oh my God. No, just happy medium. Keep into the schedule. I know it's confusing because like some points I'm like, uh, keep it like very tightly scheduled or, uh, keep it loosely scheduled. Get that happy medium. So every time something can come up, the child in your home can count on you because it's kind of scary if you don't know what's going to happen. So if you just keep that routine on what's going to happen at your house throughout the day, it's just calming. Example, I know that my foster parent is going to come home by this time, or I know they're going to be available around this time. Because if, if your schedule is all over the place, it's going to be hard to keep track of everything. And I know schedules change a lot. And also don't like straight up if they have something planned, don't hit it at us the last second because then we're going to be like, ooh, suffering. No, that makes a lot of sense. And it also makes sense like you brought up mealtime that I know can be really important for kids to know like when they're going to eat next. And it can be very calming like you're talking about, right? To have that routine. How about like around bedtime? Like what's your routine around bedtime? Well, I usually get 10 minutes, plenty of time to just brush, floss, get ready, get my stuff together, put my retainers in, stuff like that. And yeah, just give them plenty of time. Don't like straight up be like, okay, it's time to go to bed now. And it's right at time. And then you get angry because they're past their bedtime. Give them around 10 minutes, I would say. Yeah. So letting them know like, hey, it's coming up, like bedtime's coming up. Like here's a reminder in 15 minutes you know, it'll be bedtime, something like that, do you think would be helpful? Yeah. And another thing, if you're getting a child soon, if they come into your house and you're like all like soft on them and slowly putting the rules on them, I would suggest not doing that because then they can feel slightly entitled and then thinks, oh, if I just do this, I can get what I want. Just show them what you do. This is how you do it stuff like that. Give the first week to learning how to do everything and how the house works. Don't be like all soft and like give it like five months because by the time you actually just stop going soft on them after a while, they're going to be like, this is not how it's supposed to go. What the? They get used to it. Yeah. So don't like hand things to them on a silver platter. I'd say just start right away. And if you already have one child, like an adopted child or a biological child, and you're bringing a foster child in, make sure that you give them both equal support. Because I know getting another child so suddenly is really difficult and stuff like that. But then uh, the other child, especially if they're like me, can feel like a lot, especially with moving around a lot, like abandonment issues. So if you just go and kind of like give the other child a lot more of your attention, that kind of can make the other one feel kind of abandoned. Like, for example, my dogs, 
we got the other one, my baby Hera. We got her like last year. And Padme didn't take that so well. They're always jealous of each other. Like if you're trying to pet one, especially if it's Padme, Hera being big and strong will come at you in the and Padme. Try and like yank Padme away and they will get into a physical altercation. Like they will throw hands to see who get the cuddle closest to you on the couch. That's a really good example. I have several pets and one of them gets very jealous of any attention the other ones get and will even like swipe at the other ones, try to get them away. That's a really good analogy. So your brother came after you, correct? Yes. When the current home you're in. And um, what are some of the things that helped you feel like you weren't going to be abandoned? Or like, what was that transition like? Was it really hard at first? They kind of keep up to their word and they kind of treated us like both the same. I mean, nothing really helped. I still kind of feel slightly abandoned after so long. But like one of the things that can really help is I would say spend time like alone with both children like have a parent child date, like even if it's something small, like simply going to like a smoothie place and having a smoothie and sitting down and chatting, that could really help. Especially if you want to talk in a situation, don't like come up to them and be like, look at this, or we got you now. Do something chill, like for example, and I know this is kind of true for everybody, Conversations, even uncomfortable ones, are much easier to enter and have a fully functional conversation while eating. Like you take a bite and then you finish. So everyone's not angry already because they're hungry or something. Yeah, that's some really great advice. Because yeah, eating is something that really helps regulate your body anyway. And it's a very calming activity. So that's really good advice. What other advice do you have for foster parents or adoptive parents? There's going to be a a lot of rocky stuff. Like, it's not going to be a simple, simple rainbow unicorns, eight months later, adoption. No. And don't give up at the last second because usually with kids, they're like, yeah, I want to be adopted in the beginning. And then, like, when we're getting closer and closer and closer to adoption, they're kind of getting that anxiety like, oh, this is going to be permanent. So sometimes they'll try and back out of the adoption by throwing temper tantrums, stuff like that. So the parents can just be like, we are not feeling comfortable with this placement. So just make sure both of the children, if you have multiple, feel comfortable. I can easily talk about one child situations too, because I've been the only child for like two years before in this situation. Can you talk about that a little bit? How was it being the only child in the family you're in now versus having an additional one? If you have an only child, hold them accountable for what they do. And also, especially if they came from a more all over the place foster situation, like a lot of kids like that can get a lot of anxiety or a lot of depression. So like just being like, oh, mm, do it yourself is just not going to help. And being like all over them, they're just going to be like, give me some space. So being the happy medium, I would say, don't be all over them, but don't be like completely abandon them. And like, they're just in your house. They're just there. Could you give me some examples of the happy medium? Like what helped you, especially when you were nearing adoption and you talked about how that can be a lot of anxiety. You can have a lot of feelings. Like what are some of the things that really helped you 
Well, we would have discussions about it, like, are you sure, stuff like that. Also, if you know that they're, like, just saying it because they're saying it, like, actually be like, hey, I know you're just saying that to make me happy. Can we just have a conversation about this? And then that would really help a lot, actually. So it sounds like what you're talking about is, like, you didn't feel pressured in any way and you felt like you could be honest with your feelings. Like, if you had decided, I don't want to be adopted, that would have been fine, too. and You could have stayed in the home. Yeah. Just be real chill about it. And if you have a partner in life, y'all have to be on the same page. My suggestion, if you don't have a child and you're thinking of it, get couples counseling first. Even if you have a perfectly fine marriage, get some couples counseling so you know how to work together. Because sometimes, like, y'all could come up with two different decisions and not make an agreement. My parents personally are really good with making agreements and you can't really get away with like being like, hey, can I get this? No, ask the other parent. They're they're pretty just on the same page all the time, all the time. So make sure that y'all are a team unit and don't just be like, we'll make a decision without your opinion, child. If there's like a punishment or a consequence, good or bad, Y'all can make that decision together, not like, what should we do? And also, don't be too reliable on the other person. Like, I had to talk to this person first all the time for every question. Like, for example, hey, can I use this? I haven't used it in a while. Now that my grades are up, I can have it. Let me talk to the other person first. Like, make sure you can make a decision alone instead of totally relying on the other partner. Just keeping the child's mind and what they would feel kind of in check and how your situation can do that. Also, don't be straight up like hard on them immediately because then you're they're just like, no, no. Yeah. You talked about how it's important to set the rules right at the very beginning, but then gives a week or so time to kind of learn how the house works because, you know, you're coming in into a totally new situation. And it's hard to remember, right? A bunch of stuff, a bunch of new stuff all at once. My suggestion would be put up rules and regulations on like a board or something in your house so they know like what this will happen. Don't be like, do this and don't do this. Be like, if you do this, there could be possible consequences, including good or bad. Not there's going to be a punishment for doing this because it's their choice. It's their choice. Because they're going to have to learn their lesson sooner rather than later. Right. You don't want to feel controlled. Exactly. One of the most intimidating parts of foster parenting for me was when my home was investigated for child abuse by the Department of Human Services. When I was in foster parent training, they told us that if you foster long enough, it's not a matter of if you will be investigated. It's a matter of when. So how did my partner and I get through it? Honestly, it was a huge relief to have our agency support during that time. Kids Crossing is a private foster care agency in Colorado, and they had our home coordinator explain the process to us, and she was available to be present during our interviews. Kids Crossing even followed up on our case with child welfare so they could keep us updated. It was a huge relief to feel like we weren't going through the process alone. But to be completely honest, it can feel pretty discouraging to be investigated for false allegations after all the support you've provided as a foster parent. So it was also really encouraging to have our home coordinator repeatedly check in with us and normalize the experience for us. 
and knowing our agency could help us legally if needed was a huge stress reliever. Kids Crossing even sent us a thank you card to help us celebrate our home being opened up again. Kids Crossing welcomes diverse and non-traditional families. They have four locations across Colorado and Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more about how you can become a foster parent at kidscrossing.com. So what was it like for you being adopted? It was kind of exciting just having a new family and also don't like kind of force them to be like, I'm your parent. If they don't feel that right away, that's okay. Personally, for me, sometimes, um, especially in the beginning of the whole foster process, I felt like with my parents that I was betraying my biological parents. So don't like completely be like, forget about them. Just forget about them. Straight up forget or like forbid the talk of biological families or past families because that's just going to straight up be like, really? Like, why? It's going to feel like forcing them to be in a relationship. That's a really good point because plus that would be almost like cutting off a huge part of yourself, right? If you can't talk about your blood relatives. Can you talk a little more about the importance of that? Because I know you're able to still have a relationship with some of your biological family. Why is that so important? And just let me say this. It's okay to still love your biological family, even after the fact and everything. Because if you're being adopted, they probably had their rights terminated, I believe, because you can't be adopted unless otherwise. But it's totally okay to still love them and still care about them. It's still okay to have a functioning relationship with them because it's not like, oh, I can choose one or the other because honestly, those are the people that shaped you. Keeping in contact, if it's safe, I would suggest that. Like try every way you can to get information. I would say like don't contact the biological parents if they got their rights terminated and be like, hey, yo, want to talk to your old child? No, because personally, if my biological parents had called me up, I would not be ready for that. I would not emotionally be ready for that. And all that trauma would just restart. And that's another thing. I suggest getting a therapist. And no, therapists aren't just for crazy people. I go to therapy and I also go to gender therapy. Therapy is just somebody to talk to. Like, how would I put this? I feel like a therapist is somebody you can trust and someone you can vent to. I go to a therapist too. I think it's so important for people. Is that how you learned that you can love your biological family and still love an adoptive family? Because that's a huge life lesson to learn. How did you figure that out? How did you learn that? I knew that I still loved my family. So I just knew I can love both. It's not like I'm betraying the other one because if truly you could betray someone with somebody else that you love, I feel like love wouldn't exist. And if you're, if any part of your family thinks that loving the other side is betraying the other side, that is not a healthy relationship. That is what I consider a toxic relationship. I would say if somebody agrees with that, to cut off ties with that immediately, because that's an unhealthy relationship. You are very wise for your age. 
That's really cool to hear. What other advice do you have for kids either in foster care or who maybe are about to be adopted? Because like you said, that's a lot of feelings and emotions go into that. If you're about to be adopted and you're just like, whoa, hit, hold the brakes here. Don't be afraid to be like, hey, I just need a little more time. Because personally, when I was about to be adopted, I felt, oh my God, oh my God, this is happening right now. When do I have a choice? Can we just slow down? And then we did. And that was fine. And I still ended up being adopted. And it's as long as you need time for. Just as soon as you feel like it's important or like you feel like this is going to be a permanent thing. And it's not just me wanting to not hurt the other person's feelings. Because then you're going to get stuck in something you don't want to be in. So making sure you're doing it for the right reason, which is this is something that you want permanently to be a part of this family, not that you're scared of how people might react if you don't go through with it. That's really great advice. Would you say it was easier being adopted by parents who are also LGBTQ? Yes. Versus like maybe parents who weren't? I feel like because I am LGBTQ, I felt it was really nice to get some breathing room to actually be put in a family that's LGBTQ because The group home I was from was like straight up religious and I couldn't say anything about who I liked because I didn't like boys. I liked the girls and I was a girl. So I was like, I like girls. If I had said that, I would have gotten beaten. I would have been done. So you felt like you could be more yourself in this home than you could be other places? Yes. Do you think it's helpful also having parents who went through the journey of like coming out and just like, you know, navigating through society and all of that as well? Like, do you feel like that kind of creates a pathway for you or how do you feel? I feel like that kind of creates a pathway that's like, oh, they've been through this. I can trust them because you can't just walk up to anyone and be like, yeah, I'm gay. Because some people can take that the wrong way. And I personally am loud and proud about it. But there's just some people that will not like you for it. And if you're LGBTQ and you're like, I'm not sure how to come out, come out to those you trust. And if someone like come out to your friends and family and I know people are like, I can't come out of the closet because I'm scared that no one will like me or my friends will hate me now. If your friends don't agree with you that you're LGBTQ and they're not cool with that, they weren't real friends. They weren't friends in the first place. If they're not going to be supportive, they weren't friends. And if your family isn't supportive, that's their problem and they're missing out. Now, I'm saying if you're like 13 and you're like, hey, I'm LGBTQ and your family's like, oh my God, no, that's not okay. I'm not telling you to pack your bags and leave, but I'm saying tell somebody that how your family feels about that. Especially if your family is a very, very, very religious household. Like some religious households are like, yeah, we're chill. We're chill with LGBTQ and we're fine if you are. But some are like straight up, no, no, no. Because one of my fathers grew up in Mormon, Utah. What are, what are some of the ways that you do feel supported? Well, a thing that can make you feel very supportive if you're LGBTQ is when you're ready to like say something like that 
because some people are very supportive and it's a little too supportive. Like, come on, come out of the closet to everybody, shine your light. And if you're not ready to shine your light to everybody, that's fine. Because if somebody's pushing you to do that, that's that's not okay. And go up to that person and be like, hey, I know you're trying to be supportive. It's putting a lot of pressure on me personally because I don't feel ready to have that um, and shine that out to everybody. And that's totally fine, especially if you want to figure out. Because if you like feel like you should have some time, like do some more research on what you think you are before saying, yep, like, oh, yep, that's what I am. Let's have a good day. Yep, let's go. End of story. I'd say do a little more research. Like, is this truly me? And do I truly feel comfortable with this? Or am I truly this? Because personally, I have been through a lot. I have been she, her, they, them. I am they, them right now. But I was like, I just don't feel like I should be put in a box like that. So I was just they, them and stuff like that. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about when you're talking about the rules. You always want to feel like you have a choice. That seems like um, that's kind of a common theme is it's really important to feel like you have a choice and to feel supported in the decisions that you're going to make rather than being pressured one way or another. A lot of times it's a journey. What do you wish people understood better about foster care or adoption or even LGBTQ? First off with foster, because that's why I'm here. Yay. Yay. (laughs) If you're listening and you're a child in foster care. If you're in foster care, that don't mean that your parents don't love you and they didn't want you and shipped you away. No, they did something and that was their choice and they had consequences for that and that's their choice. Personally, I felt like that for a long time because my parents got their rights terminated because they didn't even show up to court. So I was like, they didn't even want me. They didn't even show up to court. So that can feel very like dumb, but. Honestly, if they didn't want you, they honestly missing out because I can bet that you are an outstanding human being. And if they honestly shipped you away because they didn't like you, that's their fault. And they're missing out and they're a freaking idiot for doing that. Um, For a foster parent, don't say, oh, this is getting too hard. Let me just give up and give them to a new home. Because... As foster kids get older, because people are like, oh, my God, teenagers. Honestly, by the time you turn 12 in the foster system, no one's going to be like, "Mm." if you get an older foster child and they are like yelling and stuff like that, give them time. If the road starts to get really rocky and it's an uphill battle, don't just be like, I'm done. Yeah, we don't feel comfortable with this placement. So I feel like don't give up unless like absolutely necessary, unless you literally do not feel safe around this child or members in your family do not feel safe around this child for any reason. Understand the situation. And if it's an honest reason to feel scared and it's kind of rational, I would say kind of give it a few more tries. If you have a house and you've been trying so hard and you worked hard to get something and they're literally destroying that or they're not following that family value. I see that as straight up disrespect and that they didn't care in the first place and that this wasn't going to work out. So I say just kind of at that point when they get to you, like they're purposely trying to like break things, destroy things, belittle you. I see that straight up disrespect. And I say that's when they need to get out. 
But if if the road is rocky and really there's nothing you could do, I say don't give up until it's absolutely necessary. No, that's really good advice. Because like you said, too, when kids are older, it can be harder sometimes for them to find homes or even just settle into a home like you were talking about, too, especially if you're coming from a group home or a really chaotic environment. It takes time, right, to learn how to be in a more calm environment. I guess, what advice do you have for foster parents who maybe are in a situation where stuff is getting really tough and they're really trying hard? Because there are things you can say to a kid at that point to let them know that they're still safe there? Or what is your advice? I say get together with their team, like caseworkers, stuff like that. Y'all all sit down and y'all talk about it and the situation. Or if you're personally not ready for all of that, I say wait until you are, because once you're stuck in kind of that situation, it can be kind of hard to be like, what are they going to think once I like take them away? Because if you're not ready and you're already in that situation, I say try again later, honestly. What are some ways you think people should prepare before a kid is placed in their home? I say have a few visits before you're just like, yeah, we'll take it have a few visits get to know that person because for me I was all the way up in Aurora before I came down to Denver to live with my family and they already had like my room ready like they bought some stuff and they had my room ready because we had had visits before for example the kid is the frog and your household is boiling water or a pot don't throw the frog in boiling water immediately slowly get them comfortable to that boiling le- level that normal area and i'm not saying boiling like your house slowly gets crazy just like to like the normal level because it's like diving in after being in a hot tub and then diving into the normal pool because then the water feels freezing cold and you want to get out immediately like slowly adjust them to that water don't like heat them into the water like Put in a toe, then like an ankle, then a knee, then their waist, their torso, and then finally put them in the water, see how they feel, and stuff like that. And if we need to make adjustments to make them more comfortable, that's fine. Also, don't be like straight up, like they can't do anything for their room. They can't make it like feel like home. Because if they have all that stuff and they want to put their room, I say let them do whatever unless it's like destructive. And what are some examples of slowly easing kids into the regular pool, like dipping your toe in? Like what would be an example of that? When I originally came into the my house, I was a very picky eater. If you do not like what's served, that's fine. Make yourself a PB&J and stuff like that. Don't straight up be like, you're going to eat what's served or you're not going to eat. Because that's like a rule in my household. And if your child is continuously picky with their food, give them two options. Like you could either do this. Or you can go to your room or you can either eat what's served or you cannot eat or something like that. Sometimes they will manipulate you. If you say you can either eat this or not eat and they're like, that's, that's, that's breaking foster law. You can't, you can't not beat me. You can be like, okay, I am giving you an option if you would like to eat. That's like me asking, do you want to eat? Because if you do not want to eat this, what's served, you can go, like, you cannot eat. I'm not 
saying you cannot eat. I'm saying you can eat what is served or what has been prepared for dinner. Or you cannot eat what's served but not get anything else for the rest of the night. Like in my house and probably most houses. If you have like um dessert prepared and your child doesn't eat dinner, you don't get that. So just be like, you can do this or you cannot. Give them two options. Like for like chores. It's not like you gotta do your chores. Be like, you can either do your chores and have all the things like privileges afterward like your phone and stuff or you could not do chores and end up with consequences or you can be in the your room for the rest of the day because personally my parents do that a lot yeah the choices is really important do you have any family traditions or routines that you enjoy doing with your family every year we try and go on a trip usually it's Thermopolis Wyoming where one of my dads grew up or it's Ogden Utah where my other father grew up that's where we are usually going every year. But sometimes, like just recently, we went to New York. And like a few months before that, we had gone to Florida, like those extra places. And if you're going on a trip, make sure it's somewhere we can all enjoy. Because for New York, I mean, yes, of course, it's New York. Oh, my God. Yes. Fun. But like a lot of it, it was kind of boring because a lot of it was just walking around doing nothing. Do something that kids can enjoy, too. Don't be like, oh, my God, let's go to Boston so we can see the Penny Museum. I don't want to do that. Like, yeah, I would love to go to Boston. And if we're mainly going to Boston to see a Penny Museum, why? Like, even if it's like a trip, do something everyone would like to do. Personally, I love swimming. We didn't go swimming in New York. So that just straight up gave a bad star. The only thing that we really did that was really fun there was Broadway. And I like Broadway, so that was fun for me, personally. But it most of the time, it was pretty boring, honestly. Did you get some good food? Yeah, the pizza there is really good. With Ogden, Ogden's pretty small. Um, same thing with Thermopolis, but pretty much Thermopolis is fun because um, when we're there, we're on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. And so there's animals everywhere. So I'm like, yes. So I'm never bored. And also we pretty much just go swimming in the hot springs almost every day there. What is your favorite memory with your family? We recently had a family reunion last summer. It was in Fort Collins. And even though I have been all throughout the United States, being three hours away and just fishing with my cousins and stuff, in Colorado, where I live right now, and everything. That was my favorite trip out of all of them, from New Mexico, Wyoming, Utah, stuff like that. That was my favorite trip ever. What? Why was it, do you think? Was it that everyone was there, or you just liked the city? It was like a neighborhood, but with small cabins and stuff. And they had a lake, so you could fish. So you were never bored. You could rent out banana bites and just trot around. You could just go to the pool anytime. Like, I literally rented out a banana bike the whole trip pretty much and I barely needed to walk anywhere I would just hop on the banana bike which is kind of like a squidward's bike that's what a banana bike is so I would ride around those and they're very hard to learn but I kind of got a hang of it after a day or so I just rode to the pool with my swimsuit on and another thing is that oh my god like 
the cousins were always out before that. Like it was pretty much a free for all. Like six o'clock in the morning, as long as long as your cousin's out, even if all the family's sleeping, trod out of the cabin, put a jacket on, go, go. Because on the last day before we left, me and my cousins, we all got our mattresses from the bunks, slept outside. And then we woke up at like five o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. And we just spent the whole morning just chilling with each other. The last five hours we were going to get with each other. Like we, four o'clock in the morning, I think we went out swimming. And then we got out and we fished for the rest of the time because we realized that fried chicken was like the best to get fishes with. What I'm looking forward to eventually to continue growing with my family and continue to be as goofy as we are. I just can't wait to see all of us grow as a family. I'd like to give a big thank you to Erica for their willingness to share their story and help educate us adults on what the foster care experience is like from the youth perspective. I sure learned a lot from Erica and hope you did too. This episode pairs nicely with our episode number two called Sassy as Hell and Haunted by a Microwave or episode number 13, The Extra Intense Life of a Gay Kid in Foster Care. That's a wrap. As always, we love hearing from you. Give just a special a follow and review on Apple Podcasts as it truly goes a long way in helping our show raise foster care awareness. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at Just a Special. And be sure to visit our website, justaspecial.com, for more foster care resources. This podcast is produced by Kelton Reed and New Media Dojo. Something that really surprised me as a foster parent is how complex foster parenting is. That's why I'm really thankful that I'm licensed by an incredible agency that goes above and beyond to make sure their foster families are supported. Most foster parents close their home within two years, and many quit within their first year. So having extra support is really helpful. I don't think my partner and I would have made it past the two-year mark without our agency's support. Kids Crossing retains more than 80% of their foster families, and I'm really not surprised by this. Kids Crossing has provided us with many free services, including therapy for the kid in our care, parenting coaching, interesting online trainings, in-home family preservation services, and a home coordinator who acts as a buffer between us and the foster care system, and so much more. What's really great is that all of these services are offered in-house by Kids Crossing, so our child's team is all aware of our current challenges and successes, and they all use the same trauma-informed therapeutic model, which means we're all speaking the same language. It's a huge time saver to not have to find all of those services on my own, and it gives me more time to play with the kid in my care. So what are you waiting for? Kids Crossing welcomes diverse and non-traditional families. They have four locations across Colorado, in Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more at kidscrossing.com.